Are you looking for entertainment for a fundraiser, outreach, youth night, date night, or for a conference? Does your team need a way to improve team camaraderie, confidence, and communication? Well, look at Wellverse Comedy for a show, performance, or a workshop. Wellverse Comedy is Chicago's clean comedy team, and we're ready to serve you, your audience, or your organization. We've headlined our own shows at the Second City at Gutty's Comedy Club in Indianapolis and started our own TV show called His Line. And we've raised over $5,000 for charity in just the last two years. We are now booking for your back-to-school bash, fundraiser, and even your holiday parties. Contact us today, and let's see how a night of high-energy, clean, original, family-friendly comedy can make your next event memorable for all the right reasons. Connect with us on social media at WellversedCMDY. That's at WellversedCMDY. Or online at WellversedComedy.com. WellversedComedy.com. For booking information, email us improv at WellversedComedy.com. Welcome to the Gifts for Glory podcast, where we celebrate and promote men and women using their gifts for God's glory. Know someone who is making an impact for God's kingdom using their gifts, talents, and passions? We'd love to meet them. Send us an email at podcast at giftsforglory.com. That's podcast at gifts, the number four, glory.com. And now here is our host, Dave Ebert. Hello, friends and neighbors. Welcome to the latest edition of Gifts for Glory. Really excited and uh, blessed that you are joining us here live or checking out the recording and the replay either on Creative Motion Network or listening to us on the Taken TV uh, podcast network or on your favorite podcast platform. We just thank you for joining us. Uh, we hope that uh, uh, you feel free to uh, leave us a, a like, a share, a subscribe, a review. Uh, but let me just say in the words of the prophet uh, Thumper, if you can't say nothing nice, don't say nothing at all. But if you can say something nice, please feel free to embellish. Uh, we would uh, love any feedback uh, that uh, that you can share uh, about the show. And also suggest a guest. Uh, if you know somebody that uh, has a powerful testimony and they're doing some great things for the kingdom, uh, please feel free to uh, let us know and uh, put us in contact uh, because we would love to uh, talk to anybody that's got a great testimony because that's the biggest part of this show is sharing testimonies, uh, sharing how God is redeeming and, and using gifts uh, to bring people closer to him. So um, uh, let us know. We would love to connect with anybody that you have in mind. Uh, now let's move on to our uh, Devotions with Dave segment. Our Devotions with Dave segment now will be coming from, uh, this is one of my favorite passages, um, Romans 10.10. Uh, uh, it says, uh, um, for it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. Now, Christ's work on the cross did it. It is finished, is what he said from the cross. So it is his work that saves us. But it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, because that's how Father Abraham, well, you know, we remember the song Father Abraham. He was made right with God because he had that belief. He his belief made him be counted as right uh, with God. And, you know, when you openly declare your faith, that is allowing the grace of God, the love of God, and the salvation just to flow through you. And Because we're not supposed to be just a well of grace and, and, and love. It's supposed to flow through us. 
We're not supposed to be stagnant in our relationship with the Lord. It is to, we're supposed to be like conduits. We're supposed to be relays. So it's supposed to come from God through us to others so that others can find the truth of salvation and the love of the Lord. So I just want to encourage you, don't be afraid to share your faith because the more you share it, the more it'll grow in you. It's kind of like when you first start dating or when you first get married, that love, when you tell people like, hey, I just got married. Hey, I am in love. And people root you on and cheer you on. And, and this is supposed to be even exponentially higher than that. So share that. Um, it is by believing in your heart that you're made right with God and you're saved because you're willing to share that faith and, and show people that Jesus has done a work in you. So that is Romans 10.10. 10. Uh, that's our devotions with uh, Dave segment for tonight. Uh, now let's get to our guest. Our guest uh, is Tom McElroy. He's a veteran of local productions in and around Chicago for uh, the last couple of decades. He's had parts in many Jeff Award winning productions, as well as uh, Southside with You, uh, which is the uh, uh, biopic of, about uh, President Obama. Uh, he has also had a role in The Dark Knight. Over the last two decades, he's also brought Christian actors, performers, and crew together for a time of weekly prayer uh, for the arts and uh, the entire city of Chicago and our country. Uh, so we'll be talking about uh, uh, EMP, Tom's story, his acting, his career. Uh, if you want to find out more about Tom, uh, connect with him at TomMcElroy.net. And you can also connect with him there to find out more about the EMP uh, weekly prayer. Uh, so now I bring on my guest at this time, my friend, Tom McElroy. Tom, welcome. Well, I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to have you on here. Uh, we met because uh, through a mutual friend, Dave Zarbach, former member of our improv troupe. And uh, I've sporadically participated in the weekly because Saturday mornings when we meet, frankly, that's my time to either sleep in or now it's my, my job. But you've been faithful with this for how long have you been doing the uh, uh, entertainment and media prayer? Yeah, that's a good question. Officially, in terms of like Saturday mornings, uh, we started back in about uh, 2010. Okay. So about 10, oh, 12, almost 12 years. years. Yeah, yeah. Uh, unofficially, so I'm, I'm guessing there was a, a precursor to the Saturday mornings. Yeah, yeah. It, it came about uh, 30 years ago, uh, almost. Uh, I'm in my 29th year of uh, acting in uh, in and about the city of chicago and other places throughout the states um but the very first show i was ever in was a theater piece for uh pegasus players uh new playwrights festival and one of the other actors uh, in the show actress uh played playing my daughter uh at the point that i came into this i was in a place in my spiritual life where i was just really beginning to come back to the Lord. I had mm -hmm. had a couple of years of really walking in a backslidden state, um, living quite wickedly. <clears throat> anyway, uh, and so I was a little hesitant to, you know, say anything. But you know, I just like I'll just I'll just sit in the corner because I don't have a great, big, huge, wonderful testimony to share. Um, kind of ashamed of some of the things I've done, but you know, you can't not communicate. You right. cannot not communicate. So it became apparent that she and I were both Christians. And uh, so we started praying, get together early uh, for rehearsal and early before the shows. And we'd spend 10 or 15 minutes just praying, praying for each other, praying for the show, um, praying for the business, 
And that experience spurred me to begin looking for a prayer partner who ended up being Dave Zarbach, who you mentioned. Uh, but it took nine years of uh, searching in this business to find a guy that was uh, of kindred spirit and uh, would would uh, meet. So we've we've been meeting once a week, uh, basically, for, yeah, 20 some odd years, I think now, 15 or 20 years together. And it was out of that as we began to kind of talk with others that EMP grew. So that's kind of the precursor to that in terms of a Saturday morning group of people. Mm-hmm. In that, you know, in all that time, you know, as dark as Chicago can be and as dark as the media and entertainment world can be, how hard was it to keep it going that long? Or was it something that, that you, you never wavered on? Well, I wouldn't say that it's been hard to keep it going because uh, the people involved are people who passionately love the Lord Jesus and are passionate about prayer. Um, so in, in that sense, it, it, it just sustains itself. I, I, maybe I should say the Holy Spirit has sustained this all the way down through those years. Um, you know, there, there were, there were, there was one time it, for, for several years, it was just three of us. It was myself and Sharon and Linda. Um, and, and there was one time where it was just me. <laughs> it was, it was a, st- it was a storm, a snowstorm had come in and, and I lived fairly close to the place we were meeting at. So I made it, but nobody else did. Um, so I just prayed by myself. Um, but other than that, there's always been at least two of us, three. And at one point it blossomed. And uh, now we run about uh, seven or eight uh, on any given Saturday morning with about probably 15 to 30 who have come in and out over the period of time. And there's 99 people that take our email every week, uh, which gives a little spur for prayer and a little blurb about what's going on in Christians' lives in the biz and uh, the link for the Saturday morning prayer time. And this may be a hard question, um, but have you seen fruit from this time? I mean, obviously, you know, your your personal relationship with the Lord, but outside fruit, like in the industry and in the city? Oh, I would say yes. Um, you know, we we are uh, seeing and experiencing, I think, just in a in a national sense. And it's not, you know, it's not like, EMP did this. Uh, it's not this little band of, of actors here, but but this also comes out of there's a group called Hollywood Prayer Network, which has been also for about 30 years uh, praying for the industry um, out centered in L.A. Um, and then uh, Master Media International. Uh, Larry Poland began that. He was uh, talking with um, Bill Bright and he was complaining about the, uh, you know, horrible content that would come over the air and in theaters and whatnot. And, uh, you know, was just bad mouthing it all. Like, like many people do. Mm-hmm. And Bill Bright said, really? Um, so you're just going to complain about it. Are you going to do anything about it? Are you going to light a candle in the darkness? I mean, what, what do you think you could do? So he began praying for the big names for the media moguls for heads of, of production companies and heads of studios and so on, as well as the big names in the business in terms of the personalities, right? So actors and artists of, of all stripes, um, you know, bands and whatnot. So they've been at it 
also for 30 years. So there's been this mountain of prayer that's being um, steadily marched forward in over all these years. So now we're seeing things, you know, I, I think that the most recent film I saw was Father Stu. I don't know if anybody's seen that. Um, Mel Gibson produced that. Mark Wahlberg uh, starred as Father Stu. It's a true story of this uh, priest who who had a rather rough beginning yeah. <laughs> and was was unique in terms of his uh, ministry and what he would do. But the gospel is so clear in that film and it's so well done and it's A-list people. Uh, so I would say, yeah, there's there's definitely been some very obvious fruit of all the prayers of all of God's people uh, for this industry. So to take that kind of a rabbit trail uh, real quick, Father Stu, you talk about the rough, you know, history for Stu before he became uh, a priest. Um, I haven't seen the film, but I understand that uh, it there's a lot of vulgarity and profanity as far as the language. Yeah. Do you. How do you feel that relates, and is there a place for that in a Christian story or Christian film? How do you feel about that? Um, that is a question that is bantered on every Christian filmmaker webpage on the net. Yeah. Constantly. And and I guess I, I feel like um, it's majoring on the minors. And... I just simply say, if you read the Hebrew and the Greek, you're going to find that there's some bad language in the Bible. There's some very strong language that Paul uses. There's some very strong language in, in the King James, uh, Sanballat, I believe it is, who comes up. They're, they're, they're rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem, and he's screaming at them to stop and telling them that they can't trust God. And, and he says, you are going to eat your own, your, or you are going to eat your own, um, what is what is what does the King James say? I can't remember now. Dung. You're going to eat your own dung and drink your own urine. Well, those Hebrew words are rougher words than that uh, in terms of the Hebrew. So basically, I just think that we need to tell the truth, and we need to tell it truthfully. So there's there's a line. There's a definite line between being gratuitous and 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 doing things just to get a reaction and so on and just telling it like it is you know and and it, it i you know i i see the difficulty right um so so yes we do if we're going to make it family friendly um then you know yeah we we've got to find a way to communicate things but if you're going to tell a gritty tr true story Paxaw Ridge, for instance, you know, that also, I mean, that's, how do you tell that story without being graphic and, and bold and strong and, and telling the truth of what it was? Um, one of the very first films I ever did, well, the first film that went direct to video feature film that I had any kind of, you know, decent part in was called A Pale Horse. And it was a true story of Ed Kemper, who was a serial killer in 1970s in, in uh, Santa Cruz, California who became a Christian and to this day is in prison. He's, you know, in prison for life, never, never going to be paroled, doesn't want to be paroled, doesn't think he should be on the street, but he became a Christian. He was a serial killer and he became a Christian. Hmm. I remember getting a letter uh, from a, a woman who was very incensed that we had even deemed to make a film about a serial killer. What kind of this was 
horrendous and horrible and and why couldn't you i mean i mean you you could tell the story of a thief or you could tell the story of you know and i'm like ma'am that that's the point no one is beyond the grace of god not even a serial killer right is beyond the grace of god i i want to tell we wanted to tell this story because that's the power of the gospel to radically change anyone's life, no matter what background you are, no matter what mm -hmm. sins you have committed, there is cleansing and freedom and hope in the gospel by the blood of Jesus. Yeah. And I've rustled feathers a few times on Facebook where I've mentioned that had in that bunker before taking his own life or being taken out by U.S. forces, had Adolf Hitler repented in that bunker Christ's grace is sufficient. Yes. Yes. And, and people think, oh, that's impossible. Or you talk about somebody that maybe has hurt children or, or what have you. Christ's sacrifice is sufficient. Doesn't mean that they should be free of consequences on this side, of, on the natural world. Right. But, but Christ's sacrifice was sufficient to cover all sin, no yes. matter who or how much. Because any sin, whether it's a, a little one or killing six million people, it's still a separation from God in the only way. Whether it's a little one or a big gap, the only the only one that can fill the gap is Christ, and Christ can fill all the gaps if we simply ask. Yes, and 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 important to note: if I think that God really should judge Hitler, but He has no business judging me, then I don't really understand the heinousness and the destructiveness of even the tiniest sin. Mm -hmm. And and as an illustration of that, I came across this in my reading uh, a few weeks ago, and I even put it out on Facebook uh, um, because I, I just, you know, think about the fact if you, if there was an app on your phone that, that, that would broadcast as loud as your phone could possibly broadcast. In fact, it's hooked up to a big Bluetooth speaker that's attached to your back. And that app would broadcast every thought and internal monologue that you have for a 24-hour period. Mm. You wouldn't go out of the house, right? Right. You would if you if you were forced to have to go and be, you know, and that was just everybody could hear you. Maybe you don't even know people are hearing you. Maybe it's an app that just puts it in their brain. But if people heard and knew every thought that you think and your internal monologue as you walk through just one given day, can you imagine, think about the destructiveness that that would have on your personal relationships, on people's relationships that aren't even necessarily within your immediate purview or knowledge, the, the, the depth of the brokenness and pain and misery that would result is really beyond your comprehension if you really think about it. That's just a small little individual, seemingly maybe innocent or non-important little road rage things that you might say. Um, right. and, and, and once we understand the heinousness of what sin is, we understand that Jesus did not come to save us from hell. That happens. We do get saved from hell. 
But if you major on, you don't want to go to hell, do you? Well, heck no. Okay, say this prayer. Oh, okay. Now you now now I got a free pass. No, the scriptures tell us that Jesus came to save us from our sins, mm-hmm. because the sins are what so is so destructive. Look at the world. Look around. <laughs> all of the education, all the technology, all of the political everything, all of that has done nothing to stop that wickedness that is in the heart of man. Yeah. Only the blood of Christ can change you. Only the blood of Christ. Yeah. So before we get into your testimony, I want to also hear about your story of how you got into acting. Uh, You've been uh, pursuing it for for many years. Uh, You've had a a lot of success. You've done some uh, really good work. How did you get into it? What drove you? What inspired you? Was it a person? Was it luck? How did you get into this wonderful world of, of, of acting and performing and, and everything else? Well, that's a that's a question uh, because I grew up in a home that you you did not go to the theater, hmm. you did not go to the cinema. Why do you think they call it the cinema? That's dad never said that. <laughs> that's, that's actually from uh, Larry Norman. Larry Norman used it <laughs> once, but but it fits with what what my dad would have said. Um, you know, you could watch TV, and that's all fine because it got all cleaned up. You know, the television code and all that kind of stuff. So, but but you couldn't go to the movies. The house of that was like a house of ill repute. That was just it was a evil place to go. And the same with the with the uh, theater, the legitimate theater. That was not a place you could go. You could do school. Community theater was kind of iffy. I did go to one community theater piece when I was, I don't know, 12, somewhere in junior high. I think my aunt and uncle had a bunch of friends and some of them were in a theater piece at PM&L out in Antioch. It was, um, if I recall, uh, you can't take it with you. And that was the first like community theater kind of big sort of production that I ever saw, which, you know, boy, that looks like fun. Uh, but man, I've always had acting in me. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, I, I, I say I steal a little, little bit from Eric Little. If you remember the film Chariots of Fire, story of his life and his sister is berating him for running in the Olympics. How dare you? You're supposed to be a missionary. You're supposed to serve God. And here you are in this pagan. Oh, ah. And uh, and he looks at her in the eye and goes, oh, sis, I'm, I'm going to be a missionary. Yes, that's what God's called me to. And that's what I'm going to do. And absolutely. But God has made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. And and so God made me an actor. It's been in my being since I was, you know, born, I think. And when I perform, I feel his pleasure. So as a kid, you know, me and my cousins, we did, were always doing, you know, the three little pigs and all the little, you know, fables. And for the, for the parents and the grandparents, we were performing, uh, did skits at church. Uh, finally, in high school, I... I they did a straight play, uh, not a musical, but an actual just straight play, because uh, you couldn't be mm-hmm. you couldn't, you couldn't be in musicals because they danced. Oh man, <laughs> this is what I grew up in, and uh, you know because sex leads to dancing, and dancing right. you just jump right into dancing. That's bad. Um, so so uh, uh, I played. Uh, Death and Death Takes a Holiday, and and from there, used the theater arts. Uh, I was a youth pastor for 10 years, and I used theater arts certainly there with uh, skits and everything at camp. I mean, 
just my whole life. I've always been in that. Um, but then came a, and I was going to be a youth pastor until I was 85 years old. That was kind of what my heart was. But I had a severe spiritual crash mm. uh, after 10 years of youth ministry. And I lived for about two years in, in abject wickedness in a backslidden state. Not like in thumbing my nose at God in the sense of I don't want you in my life anymore. To me, it was very wicked what I did. It cost me two marriages. Mm. But it was done with a facade of still being a Christian on it, if if that makes sense. I didn't want to not be a Christian. I still loved Jesus somehow, but because of a lot of the legalism that my dad raised me with, you know, Sunday was very strict. You couldn't watch television. You couldn't ride your bike. You couldn't go swimming. You couldn't play sports. You went to church. You had a nap in the afternoon, or had a big meal, had a nap in the afternoon, went to church at night. Um, and, and all sorts of things that were um, not legitimately in, in the word of God. Right. Um, it, it made me go, well, what else am I being misinformed about, so to speak? And so I pursued some things I shouldn't have at all and cost me. Um, so when I began to come back to the Lord um, in my, in my, at the beginning of my second marriage, and I, I did some, the church we started attending, uh, we put a little theater company together there. I was doing a lot of community theater in the Waukegan area. Um, so really had my feet in the stuff now. And uh, so I thought, you know, I should, I, I really would like to do this professionally. So I began, I got my headshots done and uh, I smile because those headshots were awful. Uh, I got some, I got my headshots done. I put a resume together. I was working for Tandy Corporation at the time. The youth ministry had gone away because of my, you know, walking away from the Lord. So, so, so that was not going to work, but I, I had the headshots. We're coming back from the printer. I'd gone down to, I was doing sales training uh, throughout the country and uh, and as I came for the fall tour to put it together, we got it all together the two weeks we were in Texas. And then my boss said, you know, I fought for you guys, but you you three are at the bottom of the totem pole. And uh, we mm. have to go because we're having budget cuts. And so it was at that point that I went, wow. I mean, you know, you lose your job and you would think it would be very devastating, right? Right. But there was this, it was like, really? Wow. <laughs> it was weird. It was, it was just a weird feeling of almost freedom. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, th so I went back and, and uh, I booked the first theater piece I ever auditioned for. I booked the first commercial I ever auditioned for. I booked the first um, um, industrial film I ever auditioned for. And I actually booked, but did not accept the first uh, film I ever auditioned for an independent film. These were all independent, non-union, very low-paying things. It's not mm -hmm. like I was exploding. I don't want to give that impression. But it was very encouraging to, you know, to see that. Right. And uh, and uh, so that that I, w I would say is is basically how I, I got in the biz. I, I just never looked back from there. Um, so I kind of I kind of have to say that it was God that arranged things to begin me on that path. 
Now they did fly you back from Texas. They didn't say, "Oh, you're fired. Find your way own way home." Right? They they literally made me walk home to Chicago to to Zion, is where we were living at the time. Oh wow! No, I'm dead serious. <laughs> about that. I had to I had to hike. I had to hitchhike. That's that's a bald face lie. I'm sorry. I'm an actor. I had to do that. Yeah. No. How yes. But yeah. uh, so, the, I mean, it, it, it's one of those situations where it seems like the enemy is doing something to hold you back. But really what he was doing was freeing you to do what God was calling you to do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's awesome. I mean, it, I know that it wasn't easy. It's like, oh, I'm out of a job. <laughs> you know, the bills aren't going to pay themselves. You, you, no. can't, you can't pay bills with exposure. No, no, you can't. No, you can't. So let's dive in and, uh, you know, we've kind of hit uh, uh, pieces of it, but tell us about your story. You grew up in a, a Christian home, very, sounds like very legalist, very fundamentalist, maybe. Uh, Actually, it, it was a, it was a, it was a solidly evangelical Christian home as I was growing up. My dad was definitely very legalistic in his views, came from a very old school of uh quid pro quo Christianity, you might say. You you do the right things and God blesses you sort of thing. My mom, on the other hand, was a woman of grace, most godly woman that has ever walked the face of this planet as far as I'm concerned. And without her, I don't know that I would be where I am today uh, with the Lord. Uh, so, so yeah. Um, yeah, right. Okay. I'm sorry. I interrupted, but go ahead. Oh, no. Uh, you know, take it away. So how did you go from growing up in that environment, kind of a, a almost like a two-sided coin of like, you know, grace, but also with the law almost together. How did you take from that environment to now finding yourself, your own relationship with the Lord? Yeah, well, it, it, it was, you know, it was that um, spiritual schizophrenia that I went through. It was that uh, death that I experienced really of what I thought Christianity was. I can remember sitting in my office as a youth pastor, as things were caving in within me and, and around me and thinking, you know, I know all the stories of people who were businessmen uh, who were pursuing some particular career and they're climbing the ladder of success. And I got to the top and I realized it was empty. It was nothing. It was not what I expected it to be. It was just emptiness. And then Jesus, and he fulfilled me and he satisfied me and he gave me life. And, you know, mm -hmm. and I'm sitting in my office going, well, Lord God, I feel like I leaned my ladder against Jesus and I got to the top and somehow it's not what I expected it to be. My, my story is now where do I go? Maybe this isn't the, you know, the Christianity I have isn't the, you know, right stuff, so to speak. Are you even really there? It was a, it was a soul tearing time, but a very important time because really all of those things had to get torn away. And I had, I had to go back to this, yeah. you know, Vince Lombardi famously when he took over the Green Bay uh, Packers. Uh, first day, holds up a football to the club, losers that they were, and said, gentlemen, this is a football. So we're going to start with, what is this game? This is a football. 
it's made out of pig skin shaped like this mm. Going back to the basics and and i i feel like you know what god did to me in that time was tom this is my word this is a bible let's just start taking a look at what i say in here not what man says about what is said in here and i spent a lot of time in prayer and a lot of time in the word alone and 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 god has been working through that that's that's what builds you back so as you get to that point where you've been in youth ministry for almost a decade and and you, you get to that point was there something that led you to that point or was it just that you were never in that true pure relationship with the lord and you're kind of almost going through the motions as a youth leader um hmm, that's a good question i was on fire for jesus as far as i was concerned mm. um i would i would say it was definitely spiritual warfare um i've always been pretty passionate about prayer i can remember when i was a kid nine years old or so i was watching a tv show and this little kid was getting bullied at school and his his uncle or whoever it was, was teaching him how to fight for himself, you know, and, and I, and I remember, and, and this informs a lot of where I'm at as well, because I remember thinking, why aren't you praying and asking Jesus to help you? Hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, it all worked out and everything, but with the, but there was no God in it. It's, it's what I term, I say that, 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 that the media by far and by large that comes through the airwaves in story and narrated story is all for, mo for, for, for the most part, not completely, obviously, but for the most part, it's godless. Mm -hmm. And when I say godless, I don't mean like sex and drugs and rock and roll and, you know, all kinds of, you know, horrible violence, et cetera, et cetera. Not that kind of godless. Godless in the sense that God doesn't exist in that. Right. People don't go to church. People don't pray to God in any real or serious way, et cetera. Um, so I'm sorry, remind me of the question. Just basically, uh, kind of recounting how you got to that point of, yes, of, of crumbling. Yeah. Yeah. So. Mm, so having, just having that sense of. Things not working the way that I thought they should work, according to all the stories and things that I was taught and living with and so on. And seeing seeing people who were godless, having decent lives, etc., and encountering Christians who were living a different kind of Christianity. Maybe, maybe that, you know, because that kind of Christianity seems to allow me to fulfill my fleshly desires. Now, I wouldn't have termed it that way. I would have just said this particular <laughs> desire that I have, right? Mm -hmm. And it involved a dream, like I had a dream about this situation. And it was like, you know, okay, so maybe God has done this and this so that this could happen. I mean, I was justifying all of my actions somehow in a spiritual sort of milieu 
I remember a good friend of mine just looking me in the eye after I was trying to explain to him how I was reasoning my way through this and trying to give some legitimacy to what I was doing. Maybe I missed the boat of what God wanted, and so I need to go this other way. And I remember him just turning and looking at me and going, you know what, Tom, you're just full of shit. <laughs> but that's what he said, right? Yeah. And, I, and I remember that just hitting me, uh, but it didn't stop me. And, um, and so, yeah, it was, it was a big combination. It was a combination of, of, I mean, I, I really wanted to see revival. I've always had a heart for revival. When I was at Moody, I went to Moody Bible Institute and, uh, my senior year, I sat on the windowsill of my room with my feet dangling out, uh, on the eighth floor of Culbertson, looking at the city and just aching to see revival hit Chicago. What would that look like in 1976, all these thousand, you know, almost 2000 years later, uh, you know, and, and regarding like the first great awakening and second great awakening in America, could that happen again? And that's been a passion. It was certainly a passion at that time, but because of tying a lot of things to stuff that was not biblical, one of the things, and you know, is I couldn't eat pork. My dad followed the dietary laws of the Old Testament, which Jesus very clearly in the New Testament says that's been fulfilled. I came to fulfill the law, not to abolish it. And mm-hmm. that has been fulfilled. And to Peter, very specifically, kill and eat. Well, it's all unclean. Kill and eat, but it's unclean. Kill and eat what I have cleansed. Don't you dare call unclean. So, you know, things that I was taught were very, very important, scripturally were not. Mm. And that causes a lot of confusion. So that was the crumbling then. That was how it, it, it just all kind of crumbled. So in a way, it, it seems like God maybe not didn't cause the crumbling. He allowed it so that he could rebuild you. Oh, definitely. It, 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 it was a definite tearing down and tearing out of all the things of getting me back, getting me into this. You know, we, we talk about I'm, a, I'm what you would call a reformed Christian in terms of my doctrine. You know, there's there's many, you know, um, views of of uh, well, there's kind of basically two different sort of thing, kind of a reformed and kind of an Arminian that's really broad brushing it. But reformed the reformers wanted to reform the church and that means here's the mold the church for me in this particular instance my life was way different than this mold mm-hmm. my life had had gotten a lot of big balls on it and squares on it and chunks on it and things that were going off here that were not within this mold. And I needed my life to be reformed back to the mold. That's what the reformers were about. This is what scripture says, sola scriptura. This is what it says. This is how it is to look. So we have to take this marred image and reform it to what this is. Today, some people talk about reforming the church, saying, we need to make it different than what it has been. We need to reform it in a new Christianity. We need to reform it into a new something that is in line with the times and is relevant to our culture and so on. That's the 
antithesis of what real reform is about. So, yes, God had to shatter the clay that had become marred in his hand, if I would use a scriptural reference, and reform it into a likeness more like unto his. And that's a powerful thing that no one is is beyond that reach. Whether you're in ministry for 10, 20, 30 years, there's always work that God needs to do in you because it's, we're always going to fall. We're always going to get something wrong. None of us have it right perfectly. And we just need to be willing to let God tear, tear it down and rebuild because he, he's the potter. He knows how to build it better, bigger, stronger, longer lasting than, than we could ever imagine. So uh, I, I, Yes, and along, and along with that, and and John Eldridge says this in uh, the book Waking the Dead, which which really struck me when I read that book. The the one sentence that 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 has resonated most from from the reading of that is that your, your the story of your life is the story of the long and brutal attack on your heart by the one who knows what you could be and fears it. Mm. So that also, I want to say, entered into that time because actually, just before this crumbling. I was beginning to see some really powerful things happening in my youth ministry, in the young people that I was working with. We had had a retreat. Lives had really been touched and moved. Kids were radically beginning to change. I had a small group of the guys and we began to pray together. And I believe written over the gates of hell is the phrase, anything but prayer. Hmm. Not prayers like reciting our fathers or whatever. Anything but prayer, real, genuine, intense, devoted prayer, getting to know the Lord God on a personal level, anything but that. And so as that was beginning to happen in the youth group, this all happened as well. So Satan took an opportunity and he meant it certainly for evil, but God indeed did mean it for good. And you said that during this crumbling and uh, everything else that you went through, uh, it costs uh, you, you uh, two marriages. Yes. How did, um, have you gone through a healing, obviously, because you're, you're happily married now, but what was the, the process of, of healing from those two marriages? Uh, was there, is there a testimony from that healing or that you can, that you can talk about? Oh, certainly when, uh, when my second wife divorced me, um, it really drove me to seek the Lord in a more passionate way than I ever had before. Throughout that second marriage, it was I was growing. I was coming back to the Lord. I was growing. Johnny Jenkins, who was the pastor of uh, Cornerstone Community Church, where we went to church, was a big, deep, wonderful, serious mentor for me. And, and uh, just just poured himself into me. Uh, I'm amazed actually at the time he would spend with me and the many times he had to say, when are you going to believe God loves you, Tom? Do you see that? Do you see that? That's his grace. Do you see how his grace is actually working? These mm-hmm. are good things, you know? Um, but yeah, it was at that point, you know, cause I had prayed and I had worked and I had done what I felt like I could do. I didn't know what else to do to try to hold things together. And it just, wasn't going to, wasn't going to happen. 
and that drove me to prayer. I went to um, my my parents' house and I went out in the garage where a lot of my books from my office had been stored. And I started going through all those books and I came across all this section that was all on prayer. E.M. Bounds and um, O'Halsby and uh, so many books on prayer, Tozer and many. And I just grabbed them all and I began to read them. And it, and, it, and it occurred to me in my reading, it was about that time from George Mueller that I began a process of scripture reading that I've maintained ever since then, where I, at that time, put two markers in the scripture, one in Genesis and one in Matthew, and then just began reading uh, some from the Old Testament and some from the New Testament every day. So I would start with whatever the chapter break was. And then I would flip the page and read to the next chapter break. Mm-hmm. The next day, that, that would be my reading from the Old Testament. And I'd do the same in the New Testament. So I began to just really feed on the Word of God. And I began to see in the Gospels that Jesus had this through line to his Father. If you If you read his life, it was like, it was almost like he really was he really was not about the healings he really was not about the speaking he really was not about all of those things he had this through line to his father through line obviously to the cross but each day it was like i need to get with my father i need to get with my father i need to be with my father so he would spend a whole day in ministry totally exhausted and on occasion he would spend even entire nights with in prayer but always at the end of every day, it seems you read where how he just it's almost like, OK, that's good. And, 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 and everything. But I have to get alone with my father. So that all began to drive me to spend mountains of time in prayer and in the word. And it sounds cliche and it sounds like a, a bumper sticker. But truly, if Jesus as fully God, fully man needed to prioritize that much time with God. How much more should we? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that there's so much there that we're missing mm-hmm. as the church, as the American church, especially you know, in the American church, we'll, we'll punch the clock from 11 to 12 on Sundays, maybe the occasional special service, but you can't fight a 24 seven enemy with one hour a week. No. In fact, that was a, that was another thing that spurred me to endeavor to spend two hours every day alone with God. Um, I read an article, this pastor had gone to a conference and other pastors started talking with him. And this other pastor says, so how's your prayer life? And he says, oh, you know, it's okay. No, I'm serious. What, you know, when do you pray? How do you pray? Who do you pray with? And he says, he goes on and I'm like, hey, 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 whoa. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm getting the point that, you know, probably I don't pray much, but why in the world are you coming at me about this? And the guy said, well, I was curious and I'm thinking about it myself because I just read that anywhere in the world where the church is exploding and expanding and God is moving, the church as a whole corporately spends at least two hours together in prayer every day of the week. Hmm. And uh, yeah. I dare say that that the church in America doesn't uh, probably spend that much. There are some, 
there are some, and God's doing some pretty amazing things in, in those churches and in some areas. Um, but by far and by large, I think we have ignored prayer and mishandled it to a degree. You know, so often prayer meetings are just lists of people that need some kind of healing. You know, Uncle Joe's big toe is broken. It could be as bad as cancer. It could be as little as, you know, yeah, I, I just, I'm so stiff anymore. And I, you know, and, 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 and are there big prayers in there? I mean, there's a lot of places where you can read that whole list of prayers and there's not a single thing that is anything like, Lord, send way big and simple. Lord, send waves of supernatural conversions. Hmm. Lord, send laborers into those white for harvest fields. There's not that kind of vision of, you know, Lord, send your Holy Spirit to send a deep conviction of sin and open doors, hearts and open doors so that we can speak, open our mouths and speak your excellencies to people that they might come to know you. You know, those kind of prayers, a lot of job in, in a few churches in my life. And I, I'm, I'm sorry to say that most of the prayer lists tend to be just these physical ailments, which we should pray for. And God does, you know, answer and is interested in that. But in terms of the expansion of the kingdom of God, in terms of his glory and his excellencies, where his priests were a holy nation, were to proclaim the excellencies of he who brought us out of darkness into his marvelous light. How much does that beat in my heart? Mm -hmm. How much does that really beat in my heart? Or do I go through most of my day and say, oh, well, I got to do this next? It's the American consumerism. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, this is my shopping list. Uh, will you take care of this for me? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if America, barring full-on Armageddon, complete collapse, that we would see the American church be willing to take that step as a whole to meet every day, to meet for prayer. And, and maybe that's God's plan. And that's why you don't read about a, a giant uh, superpower from the West in the end times, because we're going to be stuck in prayer because we got nothing else going on. Well, you know, I've, I've, in terms of our worship services, you know, our worship services, I just want to read Psalm 145. Yeah. First half of it. Uh, and 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 imagine, as as I read this, what it would be like to have your every Sunday morning, every morning of your life, hopefully, but when the when the body is gathered, to walk away to have a service that elicited this, that was this, what would it be like if every Sunday, this was what we were being fed on? And, and, and coming to know in the knowledge of our great God. A song of praise of David. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. 
on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. I mean, just imagine that being your heart cry every morning to know his, you know, uh, that that phrase, that 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 majesty phrase uh, in Luke when when the father brings his son to the disciples who has a demon and the disciples can't cast him out and Jesus casts the demon out. And at the end in Luke chapter uh, nine, I believe it is verse 43, uh, the end of that story says, and they were all astonished at the majesty of God. Mm. And I'm like, Lord, that God is what we need today in our culture. We need you to act, your people to live in such a way that people become astonished with your majesty. Absolutely. If we are astonished with the majesty, we are not in a place where we're taking God for granted and treating him like a genie to take care of our wish list. Right. Right. It's a good word. And that was uh, Psalm 145. Psalm 145. For those uh, that are listening, uh, go ahead and grab Psalm 145 and uh, and check it out. Uh, That's, you know, just I really appreciate you reading it and sharing that. That that was was powerful stuff. I'm glad to do it. I I, if, if, if that could be my heart every moment of every day, that would be. My heart's desire that, you know, and, and Dave, you know, you've prayed with us. This is the kind of praying that we do on, on Saturday mornings, a group of artists, group of actors and actresses and singers and dancers and, and visual artists uh, that we have some from, you know, all kinds of, of walks in the entertainment and, and media industry with hearts that are that are like, yeah, Lord. In fact, you know, what we pray essentially is God, please connect every believer in the business. Yeah. Purify us. Make us holy, unify us around the word of God and empower us by your Holy Spirit to be salt and light in order to change the face of theater, film and television into one that truly glorifies your name. That is no longer the godless wasteland that it is, but it's one that delivers the most glorious message that anyone can ever imagine. Amen. It's kind of like God knew what he was doing when he gave us the word. I think so. <laughs> so, um, yeah, uh, Psalm 145, read it and, and challenge yourself to, to develop that heart, to be astonished with his majesty. I think it was, uh, who was it, C.S. Lewis that was talking about if God only caused the stars and the moon to be visible once per month or once per year, there would not be an unbeliever among us. Yeah. But 
we end up taking it for granted. We see his works, we see his graces and his mercy every day. And we almost get callous towards it. And if we would be astonished with his majesty, just like astonished with the majesty of the the sun and the the moon and the stars, then uh, our hearts would be, be changed in in a mighty way. Yes, 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 yes. Amen. So, uh, so I'm going to transition into our uh, final two segments. Uh, it, it's hard to do that, you know. After we just had this powerful moment, but it, I don't mean to be irreverent, but you know, we want to wrap up, make sure that you get to bed on time, and say hi to the wife. So, uh, but, and, uh, and 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 you are about improv and comedy, so you know, yeah, people might have wanted to laugh a little too. Exactly. Yeah, it's the ebb and flow, and I truly believe, and this is not. You know, meant to be cheesy. God gave us laughter because He knew what we would, you know, go through the challenges we'd face. And I tell people the reason that I know God gave us laughter when you have a a deep gut busting laugh. Naturally, your head rocks back and your eyes look to where our hope comes from, or Ooh, where our help comes from. Yeah, it, it, it's not. It's a natural form of worship, but unfortunately, in our world, just like anything else. The world has bastardized that gift for the low-hanging fruit, but I like to be on the side that's reclaiming it Amen. And, and saying, you know, this is God's gift for us. So we will transition now to the interrogation, seven random questions that otherwise wouldn't have fit in our conversation. Here we go. So first question. Um, now I'm I know- already. In games. <laughs> Laughter doeth good like a medicine. Well, there you go. Okay. And I, I'm a drug dealer. So there we go. <laughs> so uh, I think we kind of addressed it earlier, but what did you want to be when you grew up? Was it always acting or was there anything else that you dreamt about? Wow, that's really interesting. What did I want to be when I grew up? Um, I don't know that as I was growing up younger, that I had much of a goal on anything like that. Isn't that interesting now that I think about it? Where, when I, when I became a Christian at, uh, when I became a Christian, I was saved when I was nine, very early on, when I dedicated my life to serving God with my whole life at a camp when I was 15 years old, 14 years old, um, that then, in terms of thinking of what I would want to be when I grew up was a, a proclaimer of the gospel, a youth pastor. Very specifically, I really, I had this one youth pastor in four years of high school, I had five youth pastors. And one youth pastor was there for two years, Wishart Bell. And he had such a significant impact on my life, mainly because I had time to get to know him and he had time mm-hmm. to pour into me, right? Right. And so at that, you know, point, I, I would say that, yeah, my, uh, I just, it was like, I want to be a youth pastor and I don't want to, I just want to be at one church. I don't want to, you know, go be a youth pastor for a while and then become a pastor and leave these kids in the lurch. I want to pour into them. So mm-hmm. that's what I would say. Very good. Number two, what's your favorite comfort food? Mm, several come to mind. Um, chocolate. Uh and honest to goodness, fried chicken. Nice. Yeah. Uh, I haven't done them together. Generally, the fried chicken and then the chocolate. But, yeah. The stranger combinations have happened. Maybe, <laughs> maybe it could work. 
Uh, question number three, with whom do you most identify in scripture? Oh, uh, that, you know, first for, <laughs> the, the, you know, the bump, the bumblehead, Peter, uh, that would, that would be me blowhard, arrogant, thinks he's got it all together and then finds out maybe he needs to humble himself. Hmm. You know, what, what was funny is when you were telling about the story about that Moody, you were, you were sitting on the windowsill with your feet dangling, looking at the city of Chicago in my, the back of my head, I thought, I hope he wasn't listening to somebody preach on Paul because he, he might have died. <laughs> That's right. But then Paul would have come and, and you know, re resurrected me. So I was safe. Number four, what's a talent you have that few people have seen? Uh, well, I guess it would be uh, magic. Not the dark arts, you know, sleight of hand, you know. Uh, what keeps you up at night? You know, it's funny. It's not a comedy. It's not a comedy thing. Uh, my stepdaughter. Hmm. Please pray for her. Amen. Yeah. Question number six. Uh, going on the other side of the coin, what makes you laugh? <laughs> what makes you laugh? Yeah. Is that what the question is? Mm -hmm. Oh, so many things, you know, good comedy, right? Uh, Sally and I are actually blowing through the Big Bang Theory. That okay. really makes me laugh. I really enjoy uh, watching them uh, try to navigate life without God, which is both funny and tragic all at the same time. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, yeah, I, I just any uh, uh, that and um, yeah, this just any good comedy. Yeah, I just I, I do love comedies. All right. And final question of this segment, the interrogation, uh, is there a story that you'd love to tell on film, whether as a director, producer, or an actor? Uh, yeah. Uh, I would like to tell the backstory of the guy that Jesus, that his four friends uh, took him to see Jesus and let him down through the roof. I would like to tell the backstory on him and, and end with, with where he gets healed. Uh, that, that, that is a story that I would love to tell on film because I, I have a take on it that, um, you know, I, I, I was, you know, how many times we've read that story and one day I'm going, you know, the first thing Jesus says to him is my son, your sins are forgiven. Hmm. And I just think there's a backstory in there. Why did Jesus choose to very first words out of his mouth? My son, your sins are forgiven. I kind of get the feeling because it says it was the faith of the guys that brought him that healed him, if you recall. Mm -hmm. Was he kicking and screaming on the way there? Mm. Was he saying, no, 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 no. He's going to, no, he won't heal me. He won't heal me. No. And why? So I'd like to tell that story on film sometime. Well, I can't tell you one thing. He definitely wasn't kicking. He might have been screaming. <laughs> True. <laughs> there, brother. <laughs> Very cool. I like how uh, The Chosen handled it. Um, I don't know if, if you've seen it. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Where I actually, actually, I wrote Dallas. Dallas was actually in my youth group as a student. Okay. And he directed me uh, playing Kevin Sorbo's boss in the film What If? Mm -hmm. So that was kind of cool. To be his youth pastor and then him be my director and i did write him but they'd already shot it 
notes because I, I did email him and go, you know, this would be a cool backstory for, for, for this guy, but it had already been filmed. So there wasn't okay. anything. All right. So the final question I ask every interview is um, uh, for anyone that's looking to step up uh, and use their gifts, whether it's their talents or passions, or even allowing God to redeem their experiences uh, for God's glory, what's your wise counsel for them? You know, uh, as, as I said uh, earlier, uh, God has made me an actor, and when I perform, I feel his pleasure. And that doesn't just go for actors. That goes for any and every vocation. And uh, we are to advance the kingdom of God Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Whether you eat or whether you drink. Two very simple, common things you do all the time, some of us. Do all to the glory of God. I don't think that it's possible to obey those commands without being like the early church. Reading from Acts chapter 2. Uh, verse 42, a description of the early church, a description of their tenor of life. Mm -hmm. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Those four things, the word of God, that's the apostles' teaching. The apostles wrote the New Testament. The fellowship in community with other believers, iron sharpens iron, praying for one another, being in, in that community and fellowship and having each other's backs. The breaking of bread, communion, uh, something we do on Saturday mornings when we're done praying, we share in communion every single week. Um, that has become such a rich and wonderful thing because we're we're, we're really drilling down into the fullness of, of the, 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 the wonder of what Christ did for us mm-hmm. and to prayer. And that's all equal. Not any one of those is more important than the other. They're, they're, a, they're a, a set that should not be separated. And so in doing that and in being men and women of prayer, men and women of the word, men and women of the body, men and women in communion with the Lord Jesus in his shed blood, in his life, death, and resurrection on our behalf. In that depth, he, he, Jesus said, unless you hate your mom and dad, and you hate your wife, and you hate your kids, and you hate your brothers and sisters, and hate even your own life, you cannot be my disciple. And part of your own life is your career. Mm-hmm. And I'm afraid there are a lot of people, especially in this business, who are afraid of taking a stand, rejecting some things, pursuing some other things, not speaking when they have an opportunity out of fear of man, loving the praise of men, loving my life and the good things I have more than I love Christ. So when we 
fill, when we devote ourselves to those four basic parts of the Christian life, when we devote ourselves to that, the Holy Spirit will guide us. Hmm. The Holy Spirit will, he's the best manager in the universe. He can get you any job. There's nobody that can stand in the way of him. If he wants you in it, you're going to be in it. Yeah. And and if he doesn't want you in it, you shouldn't be in it, period. So when Jesus said to the disciples, this is just kind of by way of of, of illustration of what, what this devotion to this will produce in your life. Jesus told the disciples to go wait. He didn't tell them to go strategize. He didn't tell them to go work on things. He didn't tell them to go come up with, you know, a great PowerPoint presentation or anything like that. He said, go wait. And when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and under the uttermost parts of the earth. If they had decided they were going to strategize, I doubt they would have thought, by gum, let's just go preach the word in all the languages of the people that are here that we never have learned. Mm. Right. They wouldn't, that, that, that's not, it never would have entered their mind, but God did something beyond their comprehension. And in your career, in your vocation, whether it is acting or music or number crunching as a CPA or whatever your vocation is, you drill down and devote yourself to the Lord, to his people, to prayer, to the ministry of the word. He will do things that I dare say none of us could even imagine. And I, I look forward to the fullness of that in the coming days and to all the stories we're going to rejoice in as we sit around that big wedding feast table uh, on the last day. Yeah. Amen to that. Tom, that was a good word, and that's a great place to, to end. Uh, where where would you direct people that are watching if they want to uh, – contact you if they want to see what you're up to what's the best place to go well you can hit my email tom at tom uh you can also go to my website which is tom mcelroy.net <laughs> www.tommcelroy.net and there's a you know a connection uh, uh page there where you can also you know put a message in there and it'll come to my email so that's the best way perfect yeah. Well, Tom, thank you so much for uh, for being on, for being transparent. And uh, I do the devotion at the beginning of every show, but this by far has had the most scripture involvement in a show. So I really appreciate uh, your willingness to just crack open the, the word and, and share it. <laughs> I, I, I don't know what else to do with myself. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, but thank you so much for being on and uh, we will see everyone next week. Uh, live with uh, Jason Farley from Lore.TV, a new uh, Christian streaming service. Uh, And they're uh, going, uh, they don't want to be Hallmark plus Christ. They want to be real, solid, great entertainment. And so we're going to talk to uh, Jason Farley next week. And until next week, thanks so much for joining us. We will see you uh, next Monday night. 